This is Queer Histories, Queer Futures, presented by Last Call, a podcast about queer resistance in New Orleans and the people behind the movement. I'm Free For All. And I'm Lane Kaplan-Levinson. Hey, Free. Hey, Lane. How's it going? Good. Uh, You ready for a really intense question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not that intense. No. Um, How long were you aware that you were gay before you actually came out to your family? Uh, I don't know if I ever actually came out to my family when I think about it. I mean, so my family told me I was gay when I was a teenager in various ways. Um, sometimes by like my aunt, like trying to help me like get a phone number in the mall one time, which I was like, no, 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 no. I don't want that. But, um, (laughs) that's kind of amazing though. It is. I grew up in Berkeley. Yeah. Um, yeah. My aunt was like a, uh, adolescent sexuality development, uh, grad student, I think at the time. So Uh anyway, you know, I had, uh, I had a lot of support, but I don't think I ever started even identifying really openly as like a queer person until I was already in my late 20s. Mm-hmm. And I'm only 33 now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to say it was the first time I brought a girlfriend to meet my family, which was like two years ago, less than two years ago. Wow. Yeah. And how yeah. did that go? Uh, it for, you know, all, all told, it was fine. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, That's yeah. Good. I will say that I didn't completely have a chance to come out to my family because the first time I ever kissed a girl, it was also the first time I ever wrote a journal entry. Oh. And my mom read it. <laughs> This is not made up. Oh, my God. And then confronted me about it in the parking lot of Bloomingdale's. Wow. <laughs> classic. That's a classic move. That's a, that was a an extremely uh, Westchester coming out this story. This is something that you can like, <laughs> yeah. laugh about now that was so highly traumatic then yeah. that you can tr- that I can truly truly laugh about now. Yeah. Um it is the most classic Westchester <laughs> <laughs> confrontation yeah. of uh love I'm me on the liberal Bloomingdale's and then I'm going to say what you have to say about yourself. <laughs> Tricking me into thinking she was going to buy me a winter coat when really she wanted to know about uh what I had done the previous weekend. Oh man. Yeah. We we can all laugh about it now. But um, but this is, you know, something that I'm sure the thing that I think is cool about this question is that it's probably the, the responses that people have are probably so radically different and all stories. Right. They're all such good stories. Yeah. Um, which is what we're talking about today. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Dion Haywood um, is the executive director of Women with a Vision in New Orleans, and she's been um, at the forefront of women's rights issues, LGBTQ issues for a long, long time. Um, And this is a story of her coming out. And it came to us from another one of our workshop participants. Both of the pieces you're going to hear in this episode are student 
produced pieces. Mm -hmm. Uh, What that means is that as part of this season of the Last Call podcast and the Queer Histories, Queer Futures Project is Free and I facilitated a podcasting workshop with a group of people at various levels, mm-hmm. but at rock stars, each rock of them. stars, all extremely high interest in learning how to be badass podcast producers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so throughout the season, you're going to hear a couple of episodes that we produced. Free might have produced an episode. I might have produced an episode. But a bunch of these episodes are produced by folks that were in that workshop that learned from the ground up how to make a podcast and both of these stories come from that workshop so we're so excited about that that's right yeah and the first piece comes from tara theory yes tara theory uh safe to say this is the first radio piece they've produced right yeah they even say it in the piece oh great okay cool (laughs) if you don't know now you know now you know Uh, tara was in our workshop and the, you're also going to hear voices of um, Natalie Nia Falk and Indy Mitchell, who were the interviewers in this case. Great. Here is Dion. So my name is Dion Haywood. Dion Haywood is the New Orleans-born and raised executive director of Women with a Vision, an organization at the forefront of addressing issues and challenges impacting women and LGBTQ communities of color. And this excerpt from the interview conducted by Indy Mitchell and Natalie Nia Falk, this social justice warrior, shares her coming out story. I knew I liked girls when I was five. I remember being in kindergarten and liking the girls in my class. I don't think I had a name for it or anything. Fourth grade, I was definitely in love with this girl in my class. Still didn't really have a name for it. And I think when I was about 13, 14, I was clear about what it was. And I remember even having friends. And my grandmother asked me, why are you hanging out with them little girls? Why are you hanging out with them bull dads? And I was like, what? And I remember telling my friends that, and they were like, what? And they were. They were. They were. (laughs) And I remember struggling with that because my dad, for years, he had been becoming involved with the Pentecostal church. So going to church with him, like, challenged everything. And I really, really wanted to like boys, and I liked them. I just didn't want to be didn't like them. Mm-hmm. Didn't want to be with them like that. Both my kids have the same father. It wasn't like this ongoing I love you kind of sex thing happening with he and I. And so I, to this day, I believe like my children were supposed to come through me. Mm-hmm. Because after my daughter, I was like, shit, yeah, not none of that. Then <laughs> keep that shit. It's not for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it never registered for me. It wasn't this moment of like great love of their father. I could care less if I saw him. But it was like think about like just going through the motions because that's what you're supposed to do mm-hmm. even though I did that really young at 48 I appreciate having that moment and that time even though I hated that part of my life but it was just the shame and stigma for getting pregnant and having kids as a young mom and so I remember just kind of suppressing that and still sometimes going out with guys but never really liking them mm-hmm. and still having, even in high school, hanging out with the bull dad, as my grandmother would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember hanging out with them and it was only until people in school would question that. Mm-hmm. Why are you hanging out with them? 
why you why you be eating lunch with them? And me not knowing what to do with that, I stopped eating lunch with them. I still think about that today because I think if I could talk to them again, I'd be like, girl, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I got to know. Um, and so I remember just suppressing that, right? Mm. Just going on with my life as if I was heterosexual and then the occasional girl here and there that I would play with. And even when I was sure that this is who I was, I didn't know how to come out, but it's only because my brother, who being a male, a black male child, um, really came out as a teenager and just watching him struggle and he like ran away for like two days and I called some guys I know and they knew where he was. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to say he was about 15 when that happened and I remember watching my parents look at him and I was like, do they not see what I see? Like, do they not see the same thing? I'm 10 years older than my siblings Mm -hmm. and so I'm older and so I'm looking like, this boy is gay Mm -hmm. and I don't know how nobody ain't saying nothing about (laughs) it, nobody talking about it. And when he ran away that time, I remember my mom being so angry. And she said, oh, my God, if anybody else in here is gay, don't nobody tell me nothing. Mm. And even though she said that in that moment, like, it hit me. And so I was like, well, let it go. I'm never going to say anything. Mm. We also were all very protective of my brother. Mm. So I don't really think I dealt with mine. Still sleeping and seeing girls, but definitely... Not really in a way where I was coming out to anybody, even though I had friends that say, "How could your family not not know? Like, mm-hmm. how you on? How you a part of? How you a co-chair of some lesbian group? <laughs> black lesbians, of, black women of color, and okay. black lesbians this in the city. How could they not know?" And I and I always would say, I think my mom just thinks because the kind of work I do that I'm just with people and I have a very diverse. I remember saying that to my friends, diverse friends. <laughs> and I actually met a man who I ended up moving in with. But when I met him, I was like, I'm I'm a lesbian, and he was uh-huh. like, I didn't ask you that. I just asked you want to go to dinner. And I was like, Well, he seems different. Okay. You know, not real pushy, and mm-hmm. you know. And everybody around me, like I had this mixed friend group. Mm-hmm. All the straight people. And then all the others. <laughs> and the others were like, what the fuck are you doing? But the straight friend was like, he's educated. He's a black man. You got two children. Girl, what are you going to do? You better get with him. And I did. And, it, and I remember drinking always like multiple drinks if not the bottle smoking just to get through sex with him and sex always definitely was a a whole lot to just get through it and I remember my mom coming to me and asking me which one of these women because I had was living with him but no longer sleeping with him but there were like about three women in my life at the time (laughs) I have a pass (laughs) you're not doing it somewhere else (laughs) and I remember my mom she said you and I need to talk and I ignored her for like days but I normally talk and see my mother twice a day once a day but always a lot of contact and I tried to avoid her so she came to my house and she was like, what the fuck is going on with you? And which one of these women are you are you sleeping with? Are you fucking? Oh. And what is this living situation you're doing? And I I cried. I mean, I, when I say I cried, and she was like, stop that fucking crying. And answer my question. Okay, and I was now. like, well, you know, so-and-so used to be, I broke up with her, but now I'm seeing so-and-so, but the other one won't go away. And, you know, 
And there's still this situation drama, full drama. Um, and I'm just living here with him, but we don't sleep together. She was like, first of all, I never raised you to not be who you are. And I didn't raise you to like hide or be in some closet and be living like this bullshit that you're doing. Yeah. And I remember at that moment feeling so free mm. because it's kind of the thing, you know, that, you know, the book, Does Your Mama Know? And knowing that once my mom knew and I felt like once my grandmother was clear, that everything seemed easy. Like nobody else in the world mattered to me okay. after that because my mom's like, if, as long as I love you. Fuck everybody else. And that was the clincher for me because what hurt her, I think, is like, how could you think I wouldn't accept you? You know, and my brother back in the day would do shows and we would go see his shows and all this kind of stuff. And so to think that she wouldn't, I think, bothered her. But it also, I, I think I didn't want to disappoint her. It's like, okay, you already had two kids and you're a lesbian. Well, goddamn. Um, <laughs> um, it's too much. But like after that, after that, it became much easier for me to fully um, be myself. So I had old boy, like, yeah, you got to go. Bye. <laughs> By that time, I might have had four girlfriends <laughs> or whatever. But definitely had the freedom at that point to be myself. But my coming out is that my mother came to me. Okay. And she kind of confronted me. And I was doing this silent out, like not really hiding it. And I remember one of the women she was referring to um, is about six to like beautiful and black, yeah. ball head, piercings, you know, the whole nine yards. Like everything about her said, yes, yeah, I okay. am this. <laughs> and then this is who I am. And we would hang out together, and it's, you know, I always feel like my energy, coupled with some of the people I've dated, there's no mistaking that this is what it is. So. My name is Tara Theory. Thanks to Last Call for the podcasting workshops, and most of all, thanks for centering our queer stories. And thank you for listening to my first podcast. Dion Haywood has worked as a human rights defender for more than 25 years. She's an advocate for black women, working class and low income women, and LGBTQ communities in the Deep South. She's the executive director of Women with a Vision in New Orleans, and since Hurricane Katrina, has worked to abolish the Crime Against Nature statute. This helped to remove more than 800 people from the Louisiana Sex Offender Registry. Dion has been honored with numerous awards by groups across the United States for her advocacy work. To learn more about Women with a Vision, visit www.av-no.org. And Tara Theory grew up in New Orleans and has returned after living other places. She is a grateful wife and a new older mother, queer, dyke, poet, musician, composer, digital artist, and programmer. She marvels how becoming and coming out never quite end. She is profoundly grateful for stories that tell her story, especially New Orleans history. That brings us to our next piece. Yeah. Another uh, student-produced piece. Mm-hmm. Which uh, relates in some ways to the first story in that we're talking about kind of early love and mm-hmm. these initial queer experiences, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a really beautiful thought quote from uh, David Sedaris from one of his earlier books 
that talks about his mom is like, you kids think you invented sex. And he's like, but didn't we? And it's because, you know, you when you are first experiencing all of that for the first time, you have no roadmap. There's nothing. It's you're inventing it as it goes and you're inventing the same things that billions of people have invented before you. But um, that's so true. I never heard that, but I love that. It's so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. that's from a uh, piece about his one of his first encounters with a with another boy. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. So this is about someone's first encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tee us up here, Free? Yeah, this is another piece that comes out of our workshop, and the interview was with Sue Prevost. Um, Saya Bees interviewed her. And it's about her first love. And when I was 12, I was watching a show. It was called The David Susskind Show. This is way back. And he had on Seven Lesbians. And that was the name of the show, Seven Lesbians. (laughs) And I was watching it. And this woman comes on and she goes... I just don't want to be a receptacle for some man's sperm. And I'm like, hey, that's cool. I've never heard anybody say that before. And I just, I knew that they were like freaks. But at the same time, I'm like, well, I feel like a a freak too. Maybe I'm a lesbian. So what was going on was the 70s, and I wasn't allowed out, you know. I wasn't allowed to do a lot of things, so I snuck out. Those were the days when you could drink freely and get totally smashed at a bar called Nick's Bar. I was 16, and somebody 15 took me. Somebody 15 took me, and I was 16, to Brady's Bar on Rampart Street. All these other women with short hair and they wore tuxes. They had all come back from some Mardi Gras ball. And I went, well, maybe I'd be interested in them, you know. But I also thought, oh my God, does that mean I have to wear a tux? Because it was like they were the real lesbians and the hippie girl was kind of not a real lesbian. Soon I went back had my first relationship at 17 when I was already in college with someone really different and and I love the way that happened we were in an IHOP in Lafayette, Louisiana And this gorgeous human was in a booth. And I did not know if this human was male or female. I just said, whoever, whatever this human is, I am so there. Four months later, I see her in a bar. And she ends up being a female. 
and I was kind of relieved. I was like, oh, you know, it kind of didn't matter, but I think I wanted you to be more female uh, than male, and she was. So we met, and I just flirted. I mean, I was ready. I was ready for everything. And and then she said, I think you better come to my dorm with me. She brought out this vibrator, but it, you know, it was like a muscle vibrator. And I'm like, what? And... She started uh, massaging my shoulders, and that's it. That's it. I mean, I think she took off her shirt. I took off my shirt. She massaged my shoulders, and that is it. There was no kissing. And I'm like, I know there's probably more to this. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> and, and, and there was, but we didn't get to that till later. Sue Prevost grew up in Old Jefferson. She graduated from LSU and subsequently lived many places. During the 90s in Austin, she developed programming with the Women's Collective on independent radio. Back home in Louisiana, she has found a role in environmental activism, fighting the Bayou Bridge pipeline and industrial pollution in St. James Parish. Maria Delgado produced this piece. She is a musician in New Orleans and plays in the band's Special Interest and Malflora. Uh, I am more familiar with Special Interest, which is the most badass band around. She's also a fundraising coordinator for Girls Rock New Orleans, also a badass local institution, uh, which is a collective that provides youth-driven music education and the opportunity for girls to form their own bands and create original music. This is the first podcast that Maria has ever produced. She did a great job. This is the first audio piece that Maria has produced, but uh, she got so into it that she is currently editing a subsequent story about Sue Prevost's adult life. Also, the music for this piece was made by the Velveteens. Um, you can check them out on their Bandcamp, the Dash Velveteen. That's V E L V E T E E N S. Dot Bandcamp. Dot com. This project was created in partnership with the New Orleans LGBT Center and Alternate Roots through an Alternate Roots Partners in Action grant and through a network of ensemble theaters Net 10 Exchange Grant. Additional funding from the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Foundation. Last Call is fiscally sponsored by the National Performance Network. Uh, love you, Free. I love you, Lane. And you know, dear listener, we love you too. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening. We only have one message to leave you with, and that is, until next time, stay, stay gay. gay.